0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on valid and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest in best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman, founder and executive director of QuestionMark, the industry leader in assessment management software. Today, We welcome Chris Norton, who's a director of Mentor Group, a global sales transformation company based in in the UK. And Chris is a a real expert in sort of sales training, sales transformation, sales productivity growth, and there's an assessment aspect of that. Chris is passionate about achieving transformation and productivity growth through a repeatable and sustainable sales enablement. Blueprint DNA. He's got a long standing career in technology, sales, and change management roles, transforming and defining the way sales, technical, and customer services models are implemented. His strong passion is to use working with people and organizations to help achieve and sustain transformational changes in personal, client, and revenue outcomes. And Chris has recently done this through a new business-to-business sales qualification assessment aimed at identifying where salespeople can make the biggest impact in their success with clients. Welcome, Chris.
1: Thank you, John. Thank you for the introduction. Really delighted to be with you today.
0: So, I'm really also very pleased to have you today. And you're the first of our guests, sort of outside the very core assessment area, but I know you've done a lot of assessment uh, work in your time. Do you want to talk about how you originally got into the technology and enablement field or, or how you started in your career?
1: Sure. So in short terms, I've been lucky enough to work with two very different US based companies before um, I became a director and uh, part of the founding of a Mentor Group. Um, I worked with Honeywell and I worked in very early days and uh, was there for I always talk about it to be 56 quarters as um, within Dell. Um, so between those two, I had 25 years and um, very different businesses, very different parts of their business evolution, but huge um, huge learnings from both that I've taken into uh, my own company, which I run with my business partner, Jim McManus now mentor group. So just a little bit more on, on the two different backgrounds. Honeywell was really about very established, established company, Huge heritage in, in the technology space, and when I was there, I was moving to more in, into the computing area, and I was lucky enough to be part of that in in new business and new markets. And Dell, real contrast. I was there very early days when it was in hyper growth mode, uh, and again a mixture of support and sales. And from both, I've, I've learned to value getting the right people in the right seats at the right time and assessment I feel is um, a massive part of that.
0: Thank you so, uh, so I'd love to hear more about that because I think you were one of the relatively early employees at Dell when they really were growing very fast. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and also how you used assessments in those days?
1: Y- yes um, you know I was at Dell just as we are moving manufacturing to Ireland. So before that, it was done in a, a much smaller scale. It was that early in, in the UK. So my first role in Dell was around support. And uh, I can still remember the day my uh, boss was talking to me about, uh, you know, hey, Chris, we've got new strategy now. We're, we're going to move to Ireland with all our support, go through a massive uh, growth spurt in in uh, evolving Technical support to meet the new markets Dell was looking at, and I was part of that team that helped set up that, which is still in um, Ireland was chosen as the development centre. And assessment within there was about volume in terms of getting the right uh, support people capability. If I give you an example, uh, Dell was one of the first companies to set up multilingual support seven by twenty four in those days as a direct company when. Uh, technology in those early days was before Dell, mostly channel-based uh, through partners. And Dell was really the the innovator in direct. So technical support was a huge differentiator and getting the right people with the right capabilities, but also the ability to, to grow uh, with the company and to retain those people during those period of time was a a big driver in the assessment space. And I've got to say, Del taught me about the world-class impact you can have by using the right assessment, both in a capability and soft skills area. So,
0: Chris, tell us a bit about the sales assessments you used in those days.
1: Yeah, different from from the support because the focus was really about – what I would call time to revenue uh, in terms of sales. So if you think of support, what, what you're trying to do with an assessment is to get the right people, you know, and I would call it time to desk. How do you get those people up to speed and functioning in, in the best way and in the best time? And sales is about the same thing, but to get to revenue, you know, that, that's what sales is about. So the assessments there were based around, you know, some core competencies around folk Curse around mental agility, around being able to deal with ambiguity, because it was a fast-growing, uh, fast-paced company where market and client focus would evolve rapidly. So, in there, I learned that the the assessment piece, again, absolutely key, but you're looking for different attributes. So you know when you contrast the two again the value of of using an assessment both to develop uh, to onboard people to choose the right people to onboard and then choose how you develop them uh, is invaluable.
0: So you moved on to found mentor do you want to tell me a little bit about who they are and what problems they solve? Sure. So, in
1: Mentor, we're myopically focused on on sales. That's that's what we do for a living. That's what that's what we focus on with our clients, and it's around sales growth. And when you look at growth, that you know we found, and which has helped us with our client success, there's three areas really: is the the use of technology, the use of and the evolution of processing and blueprinting a process to follow and sustain. And then thirdly, obviously, with the people side, the evolving capability. So that triangle of process tech and people is what we focus on. And we focus on two areas primarily to drive the growth. One is the sales leadership, and then secondly, around the pipeline. And what we focus on in in the pipeline is two key areas: the value um, and volume of that pipeline, and the velocity of it. So in a nutshell, we're, we're specialists around uh, working with our clients globally uh, to drive the, the productivity and the growth through massively effective pipeline and sales leadership.
0: So if you could start thinking about assessments, test quizzes within the sales development process to improve the performance of salespeople, almost every company is very, very, very keen to improve their sales. So how do assessments help there? Sure, I would use
1: probably two examples. Uh, even in the changing landscape of sales, the absolute key requirement still is around relationship. So we use assessments to determine the the strength of relationships uh, within. Uh, salespeople and sales teams, uh, client base. And, and you can assess whether the, the relationship is strong from a, a soft skills perspective, how the relationship is being run. And also in terms of the coverage of that relationship, more and more nowadays, particularly in enterprises, about the width of the relationships, the number of stakeholders, and also through the relationship skills, the depths. So we we have a number of, assessments that can, like a gap analysis, chart in real time with clients using technology where they are with those key relationships. So that's that's one example of where we use assessments. Uh, Probably a second one that springs to mind is around behavioral assessments. You know, obviously the key skills of a, a salesperson are around maximizing their behavioral uh, agility and influence to help create the, those type of relationships. So we use um, some uh, neuro-based science examples. We, we use a, a a profile called PRISM, which looks at eight key behaviors and gives a profile around the assessment of the underlying behaviors of an individual, uh, the adapted behaviors of the, that individual, and you can also benchmark those behaviors against people in similar roles. You can also run it as a team and look at the strength of a team in those key relationships. So that's a, using some of the more modern away from type type assessments into using more science-based assessments
0: and so what kind of actions might happen as a result of an assessment
1: so there would be in all cases it's uh you know there would be a developmental path charted uh, that's driven out of the the outputs of those assessments the the one i described the last one has an expert system which points out strengths uh, potentially some areas of development. And then with the sales leaders, and often with our, with our help, we would um, formulate a development plan. And then, of course, you can reassess on a, on a regular basis and see progress. So it's all about using those assessments for a conversation, but, but that's grounded in data and insight to help the salesperson uh, look at their strengths and, and continue to use those and look at areas of development Development and work on those.
0: And do salespeople like taking assessments?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say universally that would be the case. Um, most of the time, you know, if someone says we're going to do an assessment. We, you know, we probably visit the dentist as a uh, uh, as an alternative. Uh, you know, but once you explain. Uh, and that's why I like the science-based ones. Uh, once you explain the, the logic and the process and the outputs of those, then you find if it's based on, hey, this could help me be more successful, then, you know, we get pretty good buy-in, and that, that's actually key.
0: I'm sure. Can we now move on to talk about sales qualification, as that's the area that Question Mark and Mentor have done some work together? Firstly, what is sales qualification for those people who might not know about it, and secondly, why is it important? Yes.
1: Yeah. So if if you look at the key to success within one of the keys to critical successes in sales it's around alignment with buyers process so you know the sales process as would have been in in former times is a linear process you know it goes through stages and you know people would talk about qualification and then sending a proposal and then presenting and and then maybe some negotiation and close yeah, the world's moved on. Buyers are, you know, don't follow a linear process. It's more like a map, and that cycle of how a buyer works through their process. Salespeople, if they're not cognizant of that and not aligned to that, there can be a complete mismatch. One of the Key areas is around what we call shift to the left in terms of the cycle in terms of timeline, and what that means is that qualification is so key and and that's from a not not purely from a pragmatic is there an opportunity here but it's all about alignment with the buyer so for us qualification is key and it drives conversion rates you know you only want to be working on uh, something that's going to result in you know a mutual win for you and the buyer uh, and often people talk John you've probably heard this you know saying, yeah we're, we're we're really proud of our one in five conversion rate you know from so that means if, if we have five opportunities you know we'll, we'll all celebrate and get one across the line you know my view on that is imagine if you were working 50 hours in a week and you're in a one in five conversion rate, that means you're spending 40 hours of that week uh, losing or not getting to the value for you or the client in terms of an engagement. So qualification is key to, to make sure that you're working on the right opportunities aligned with a buyer and you're as taking the risk out of, um, you know, continuing to, um, use resource and time on on those opportunities. So, as you know, we've we've recently worked with uh, you guys to to put out uh, an assessment around qualification. You know, it's not something that you uh, can't learn. It's not something you can't pick up best practice on, and it's not something that you can't um, iterate on a- and show what works. So we put out uh, qualification set questions to get salespeople to look at their own qualification skills with a view that that's a critical critical
0: area to focus on yeah so if i understand right there's a risk that if you might have a lot of opportunities and some of them are probably never going to result in a sale but you still spend time on them so the key thing to do for a successful b2b salesperson is to qualify the ones out that are not going to be a good use of of time and focus your time like you said the 50 hours a week on the ones that are very likely to lead to to a sale if i understood that right
1: yeah, absolutely. Spot on. You know, that's a good use of, of your time as a salesperson. It's a good time of the organization's time. And it's a good use of your your client's time because the timing might not be right. You, you might not have the right solution. Um, you know, there's a number of criteria. So uh, guess what? It's better to find that out early. And there is a whole set of skills where, and we'll talk about it, I know, a little bit later, where elite salespeople, Highly successful salespeople will spend their time in that qualification cycle.
0: No, that makes perfect sense. And also, as somebody who quite often buys software, for question mark, you can see that some salespeople are very effective at presenting their organisation, asking the right questions, and using your time well. And I think those people have very good sales qualification skills.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: If you're interested in this uh, sales qualification assessment, it's called Quishmark B2B Sales Qualification by Mentor Group, and it's on the Quishmart website, and it's just a very short but very focused test on sales qualification skills, and it's, it's definitely worth looking at if you're looking to improve your uh, sales qualification from, from your team. And I should also say that Mentor has actually provided some help and advice to the mark sales team and been very helpful in, in help, helping us focus. So, Chris, before we look at the elite sales thing, which I would like to ask you about, can you talk a little bit about onboarding and time to desk and uh, what people can do for good practices there?
1: Yeah, sure. So the the way that I I look at onboarding, you know, I've I've worked at a couple of companies, but I've I've worked with hundreds of clients. And if you look at the, the onboarding process, it's so critical in terms of probably two factors. One is, as, as we say, getting someone up to speed uh, as rapidly as possible and acclimatized into the organization so that they can start to achieve success, whether it's in a support in any role. Um, so that, that's one uh, key attribute of onboarding. Secondly, you never get that time back whether it's 90 days that some customers we've worked with use for onboarding and spend a huge amount of time and resource for getting people onboarded into the client. If you don't, spend that time wisely, you know, that time will never come back. And and what does that mean? You know, it, for me, it's one thing is about first impressions. As people join a company, you know, they, they have a vision of what the company's like. And, you know, we've all been through interview processes and we join and we're vibrant and excited about joining that company. And if that onboarding process is less than optimal and not a great experience, then You know, we've seen huge attrition rates in in very early times within companies. A company called CSO, uh, Magical, uh, around um, progressive uh, client surveys, and they do a yearly yearly survey. One of the statistics that has not moved in terms of looking at sales is that the attrition rate within sales community is still around 25% year on year. So if you think about that, it's a horrendous statistic. That means in four years, you're going to churn your whole sales force if you're in that cycle. And if you can imagine the waste of resource and, mm-hmm. and not just money, but uh, you know opportunity for there. So onboarding, I think is key in terms of giving the salesperson the best experience, the best possible chance for success, and that will lead to retention. And that, that's a good return on, on investment versus onboarding properly. The Second trend we'd notice is something, and we term it, pre-boarding if you think and imagine when somebody is at their most optimistic coming to join a company, it's probably the month before they join. And they're often exiting from their previous company, maybe in senior positions on some form of gardening leave, or or at least in, in an evolution to join yeah, in, in this a different phase. So we've noticed a lot of companies now, and we're working with them to do what we call pre-boarding. So maybe the months before using technology to push out key pieces of content you know on a micro learning basis so that people begin uh, when they arrive they've already uh, understood some of the key learnings it might be a sales methodology it might be some uh, video based assets on uh, you know the company's marketplace and you can get a huge amount of uh, leverage from that both ways and you know when the person walks through the door they're already if you like on the cycle towards a good pre-boarding experience. You can also learn quite a lot because imagine if somebody doesn't take any of the uh, pre-boarding exercises the months before they join that may give you a sort of yellow light in terms of how they view their own development and the importance of that. So we're seeing it grow. uh, And I think it's an uh, absolute exceptional way of adding value from both from the person who's joining and from the company who's welcoming that person on
0: board. Very interesting. And that makes sense. And I think it makes sense in a lot of other areas too, not just sales. Thank you. Let's move on to what you mentioned earlier about elite sales ideas. Can you share about those?
1: Yes yeah, so i'll just give a little shout out here to one of our partners a company called london cognition we're working with them they're they're based in the uk they've got links into some of the research and also educational facilities and universities such as UCL they're working on neuroscience programs around elite performance so they they started off in elite sport so they work i know with the british olympic team they work with some of the premiership soccer clubs in the uk and they've worked on what are the key attributes of elite sports people and where we're partnering with them now is to take some of that learning let say it's based on uh, neuroscience and neuroplasticity the the ability of our brain to to grow and develop within any situation and role and use that within a sales environment and we've defined five key attributes foundational attributes um, that are evident in high-performing sales people. And then what, what we're working on then um, is to look at those and then a look at maybe the you know, maybe in a company you would get ten percent high-performing salespeople who are, you know, way above performance in a variety of ways. Not just in in terms of their revenue attainment, but it could be attitudinally. It could be in terms of their consistency and sustainability of that performance. And you look at those and you look at compared to these key attributes. And I'm going to give you an example in a moment. You know, where do they rank? And then you take that and you apply to what we would call the median of the sales force, which could be up to 80%. People who are performing, uh, but not at the level of the elite sales team. And then you apply some of those key foundational behaviors and attitudes and skills in a developmental activity with the rest of the sales team. And, it, you know, we've, we've, we've started to see phenomenal results in just improving. If I give you an example, if you in, improve the median uh, performance of eighty percent of your sales force by say two or three percent, and you're you know you're in a large, multi or hundreds of million revenue scenarios. Um, improving that two to three percent, you know, is exponential in terms of the overall uh, revenue and performance gain within that key part of the sales
0: force. So, can you just give us a sort of an example of what one of these attributes is, or yeah, so,
1: so if you can uh, imagine one of these is around um, risk profile of that person, so their tendency to in a, in a behavioural, to take be a high risk or to be a low risk in terms of their behavior to to scenarios and to, let's take it in sales terms, into opportunities. So when we ask this question of, you know, most people say, okay, if if you were to look at an elite salesperson, would you imagine that they are high risk or low risk in terms of their profile and the way they apply that? And, you know, probably 80% of people say, yeah, elite salespeople are high risk. They're, you know, go-getters, they change every opportunity down and wrestle it to the ground and get it across the line and, you know, be the hero and have huge performance. Actually, it's the opposite. Um, High performing elite salespeople are very low risk profile. And, and where you see this is in an attribute we touched on earlier is at uh, qualification. They spend 80% of their time in those early stages of working with a client and they um, will not move an opportunity forward unless they're convinced of, of a number of criteria within within that qualification process. So they are very, very low risk in terms of uh, movement of opportunities. And where you you see that is in the pipeline and we have data and metrics against this and a high-performing salesperson may have a a lower volume and value in their pipeline but where you will see the difference is in their conversion rates they may be one in two or even less so they're spending their time in a a low-risk environment in qualification, not in a high-risk environment of, of working on multiple opportunities that are not qualified properly.
0: Very, very interesting. And do you think selling is changing with COVID and the move to digital transformation? How do you see the future of digital selling in B2B?
1: Yeah, I think you've you've got um, the right term there is the COVID and, uh, you know, it's been a massive impact on, you know, I just look at our company, you know, this time last year, maybe 70% of the work we did was face to face and 30% digital or or remote. You know, we're now 100% hundred percent of all of our interactions with our clients are are remote we've made that transition and a hundred percent of our new engagements going forward are now all remote zero uh, face-to-face. Will it stay like that? I, I don't know, but I definitely don't see it going back to uh, to an 80-20 face-to-face because what, what's been proven is for us uh, and, and our clients is you can achieve exactly what you did uh, face-to-face in a remote environment. So yeah, definitely remote working and dispersion of, of people is here to stay I see uh, and particularly in sales it's with that we've seen with our client it, it is successful now you do have to there are a number of watchouts around mental burnout you know about working on on it in an, your own environment and on your own so there's a whole Bunch of what I would call mental fitness uh, criteria that you have to take into account, particularly in a key role in sales. But I think remote selling is definitely one trend we've noticed, John. Number two, I would say, is this phrase that you picked up is digital seller. And the second trend is around what we would call revenue operations. Balance and, and separation between sales, marketing, customer success, and product is becoming blended. You know, you're, you're finding that to be able to sell effectively, you need a continuing evolving of skills around understanding product and obviously your value proposition, understanding how you might um, interact with a client on a digital basis through social media and understanding how you support that client for success in a, you know, client success. And, and that's coming together into a role And digital selling, I think is the fusion of that role and uh, come back to, to your world of uh, assessment you know being able to assess now you know somebody in a digital selling role is completely different than it may have been maybe a year ago
0: really fascinating and i think we're all of us sitting in our home offices trying to change and influence the world and that's a very different thing from sitting in an office and trying to do it this has been a very illuminating conversation chris and i've learned a lot and i hope our listeners have too can we close down by asking you any advice you'd give for people using assessments in the sales space? Any sort of final advice?
1: Um, yes, I'd, I'd say if, if we could get three big rocks around assessment and into sales space would be one. I think you have to hire plus one, I would call it, is around um, our operations director, Matt, uh, Matt Webb, you know, talks about future proofing. Yeah, so when you're assessing people, you, if maybe you're bringing them in into one role, you know, really look at can they do the next role as well? You know, it's key to get your the hiring right. Uh, you know, in terms of a whole bunch of performance metrics, but also you want to be able to to see a future both for you and the person that you're bringing on. So maybe that future proofing plus one is a is a good thought when you're you're bringing people on board.
0: Definitely, definitely, yes.
1: Uh, second one would be uh, I, I love and and this is my passion and, and and we've got great success for it is using the science based assessments you know, around neuroscience and um, the. The movement in neuroscience and the progression on it has been huge over the last five years as much as any science and being able to use uh, profiling and assessments based on science. One is easily explainable to people because you're dealing with key foundational principles and secondly, you're moving to a much more uh, insightful way of assessing people um, and making sure that you can get the right people on board in the right seats and give them the right development. And that will lead to the right success and the right retention. So that's my second one. And the third one would be around just looking at those key attributes and, and benchmarking them against people either in the industry or in your company that are successful. For me, that's a, a critical success factor, a shortcut to success, and also ensures that you get the right people, again, with the right skills and the right culture, you know, into your organization and develop. So future proofing, science-based assessments and benchmarking within your own organization or industry. Uh, to get successful and the right people on board.
0: That's really, really useful. Thanks so much for joining us today. And listeners, please reach out to me directly at john at questionmark.com with any questions, comments, or if you'd like to keep the conversation going. You can also visit the Questionmark website at questionmark.com to register for any of our many best practice webinars we host monthly. Thanks again. And please tune in for another exciting podcast discussion we'll be releasing shortly.